Greetings and salutations, folks. It's episode 176 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I'm joined, of course, by Dave Hogue. What's up, Dave? Oh, not much, I guess. The uh, Christmas star appears tonight for the first time in 400 years. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm going to need all the details on that, please. (laughs) Um, I think it's Saturn and Jupiter come really close to each other tonight and they appear as one star and it's called the Christmas star. Interesting. I've never heard that before in my life. Truly on my way home tonight, it was, it was, I was shocked at the number of people that were parked to see like I'm like why are all these people pulling over <laughs> maybe they were parked for other reasons Dave it, wow, it is wow, possible wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just everyone all of a sudden is like we must go park and make out do people still do that I don't know yeah they do oh, okay I'm out of touch with all that Dave yeah for, for, for obvious reasons anyways <laughs> I'm not okay. Like, I'm not sure if it's okay to joke about that stuff yet or not. I almost made a comment. We were at rehearsal on Saturday for Christmas services, and I was laying on the pews. Not the pews. We don't have pews. We have chairs. They're pretty comfy. And I was laying on them, just kind of staring up at the ceiling, and one of the guys walked by and, like, grabbed my thigh to, like, scare me. And my first response was like, hey, only my wife gets to touch me there. And I was like, oh. Oh, wait. <laughs> Never mind. Carry on. <laughs> but again, I wasn't sure if it was okay to make the joke, so I didn't. So I'll just do it on the internet for everybody to hear. Mm, yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Anyways, Christmas star. That's uh, I've never didn't know that was a thing. I Well, I mean So is is that the star that was over Bethlehem? I when could not tell you the that. shepherds and the wise men all made their way to the manger. That I could not tell you. Mary, I, did I you know <laughs> that Saturn and Jupiter made a shiny star? All right. Well, so this has been the first day, first day of winter. It is finally. It's only been freezing for the last month and a half. <laughs> It was 60-something here today, and I think it's supposed to be 60-something again tomorrow. Well, we're going we're gonna to go from like 50 on Wednesday to a high of 18 on Thursday, so it's dropping. It's been chilly, but I just think it's funny that the winter solstice, right, today, the 21st of December, mm-hmm. is the shortest day of the year, and like winter is somehow an upgrade from fall, because like fall, we're getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And it gets and then like December twenty first, you don't really think of it as the first day of winter in general, right? It right. is the shortest day of the year as far as daylight's concerned. But then somehow the rest of winter is like, oh, there's more daylight. But it never feels like that ever. Yeah. Until that's like true. March. And then you're the like, days are oh, actually getting there's hope. Yeah. There's actually more daylight starting today than leading up to it. Indeed. So I just I found I was having that thought today when I realized today was the solstice. So, you know, there's that. 
little weird tidbit about time and perception. Yeah. This is the weirdest intro I think we've done in a really long time, Dave. <laughs> like, should we just Maybe. talk about like pagan sacrifices and solstice rituals? And I don't really have anything to say other than that I know that those are a thing, and that's today. Yeah. That just well, seems it's funny to be the trend we're on right now. <laughs> well, and as we were talking about it being the winter solstice, I was like, I wonder if there's people that, you know, with the combination of the Christmas star and all that, I'm sure there are people predicting all kinds of things to happen today. Yeah. We're doing who knows what's with uh, animal parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That probably shouldn't have come out of my mouth. All right, so yeah, we are here to to talk about the Bible and not other silly things as we are well, as we already have. So Dave, why don't we try and rescue this episode and uh <laughs> what 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 are we actually talking about tonight? Uh we're talking about Hebrews 5 and Jesus being the high priest. All right. I wonder what it shall say. Shall we uh shall we dive in? For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All right, so we have been alluding in multiple previous episodes that we were going to finally get to the whole high priest deal, right? And we have finally arrived, David. Mm-hmm. So the author here, right, starts with an explanation. We we talked about it a bit back in Chapter 3, I believe, but this is this is a further explanation, right? Every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So that is a very that's like the 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 headline for the high priest, right? Chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So this is you know, I didn't grow up Catholic. God, you didn't either, right? Nope. Uh but within the Catholic Church, right, priests act as a uh, intermediary between God and the people. So yes. this is a similar a similar thing, right? That this high priest represents 
is appointed to act on behalf of as a representative of mankind in relationship to God. So they stand in between God and and mankind. And so I think that's that is the first distinction here that we need to make about the high priest. They are they are a separate class, a separate role uh, of person that acts as an intermediary between God and mankind. So that's the first distinction we have. Mm-hmm. And then it says they do that to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So they have this role, they have this class, and then their job in that role is to offer gifts and sacrifices to God for the sins of mankind. So they're there representing mankind to God to offer gifts and sacrifices as sort of like a payment for sin, as a way for the sin to be dealt with. And it says that uh, this high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses, right? Because he's just a, just a dude. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those people. So a normal high priest, someone, you know, like Aaron or one of his descendants like we spoke about last episode, has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of his people. And so we can already start to see how Jesus, as a high priest, has already started to separate himself from the traditional role of high priest in the sense that Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins because, well, he doesn't have any. And we know this from what we talked about last episode in verse 15 of chapter 4, for where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So this is the key differentiator, right? He, he fulfills right. the role of high priest, but he does so as a perfect person, someone without sin. So he's not obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins as he does for the rest of the people because he doesn't have any. Which makes what he did on the cross all the more impressive and meaningful and powerful because he was someone without sin who died on behalf of those who did have sin. So Moving on in verse 4, it says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So no one, you don't run for high priest. Like this isn't this isn't a political office. This isn't something that you you campaign for. This is something that God calls someone to, a position that God calls somebody into. So that's a pretty interesting introduction to this role of high priest and, you know, I, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on these first four verses. Uh, so, um, my initial thought is, I, I, I am struck by the human element of Jesus in all of this entire, not just these first four verses, but the entire chapter. And it's just funny how 
you can read a, a verse so many times and never really have a thought or experience an aspect of it. And in this particular case, it, I, I'm really struck by um, the humanity of Jesus and how even though he was God, there is this element of he's still chosen by God for this honor. It's not an honor that he would have placed upon himself. Um, you know, the sacrifices uh, being done um, for other people, and just even the fact that it, it talks about, you know, the high priest is chosen from among men. I don't know if there's any significance in that <laughs> at all, you know, because Jesus was a man and he was, you know, there's that element of he was chosen from among men. Yeah. It's a good and point. I, I, you know, uh, so his humanity is just really is, is a big part of what is, is standing out in all of this um, to me. And, you know, I know we had that conversation last time of just, um, it's easy to forget. Um, and even as I think of him being a man, I still am always kind of in this, like, but he wasn't like just man, he was still God. And, um, there's something about this to me that just really, um, you know, Jesus didn't do this. He was chosen by God. He was obedient to God. It was a part of God's plan. And um, like you said, there's significance to what, you know, he did on the cross for us in terms of it was a, a once and for all, a final sacrifice, you know, and it didn't require, you know, verse three is the exception here. Um, Jesus would not have had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. And so the fact that he is the ultimate high priest is the ultimate sacrifice. Um, he was the one person that didn't need all this to happen. <laughs> and yet he is the one that ultimately does it for us. And then, um, uh, yeah. So that's, that's what stood out to me in this and we're not there yet, but uh, verse seven also struck me as something I'd really never noticed before. So we'll get to that here in just a second, Dave. I like the foreshadowing. <laughs> also, I realize I've been putting you on the spot a lot lately in these previous episodes. I'm sorry. I, I just know. I get sick of hearing myself talk, and and so I want to punt it to you, and I don't have a good way to segue. So, hey, what do you oh, think? Hey, hey, Dave. <laughs> What do you think? So, all right, cool, great, um, good, good points. And I'm yes, we'll we'll get to verse seven here in just a second. So uh, five says so. Also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, "You are my son. Today I have begotten you." As he says also in another place. Love that very, very specific reference. Another place. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And 
it's you know it's just it's the author bringing in other scripture to verify um, and uh, uh, support the point that that he or she is making, which is great. Also, you know, Christ didn't exalt himself to anything at all. No, in his entire life, he never exalted himself. So there is a passage in the Bible that's coming to mind right now that that sort of supports that idea that Christ didn't exalt himself to anything, and it's found in Philippians chapter 2, and it says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, um, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form uh, of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." So even even when Jesus was with God, right, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, like just humility is just a fundamental part of who he is and what he's about. And, you know, I don't know about you, Dave, but I could certainly take a page or a hundred out of that book. Yes, very much so. Yeah, and, I, you know... I don't want to get political, but I'm, I'm, I'm up to here with people and their freaking rights and the number of Christians lately that are complaining about their rights being violated for things that are being asked of them. And it's not America. It's, it's American Christians. It's not Christians living in places where they are truly persecuted. Like, I'm just going to say, if you are a Christian in America, you're not being persecuted. I'm sorry. You're, you are not in danger of being killed for what you believe. And until it rises to that level, shut up. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but Christians are not being persecuted in this country to the degree that they are in other countries. So, and, and I look at the example of Jesus, and I, I, I truly do. I go, it, and, and granted, I'm, I'm just as guilty. There's different, there's different places. So, yes, I'm agreeing with you that you and I are in that place of we certainly um, do not have the humility of Jesus. Um, yeah, so... I won't negate my saying my what I just said by adding the word but and then adding to it. So I'm just going to say <laughs> yes and none of us none of us are being persecuted. All of us uh should be to, should strive to be more like Jesus when it comes to the humility. Agreed. Agreed. 
So verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, you mentioned verse 7 earlier, Dave, and I would mm-hmm. like to hear your thoughts on it at this point, if that's okay. I, I have just never... that. I should probably look up the other like NIV, but just that phrase, in the days of his flesh... Um, I just have never really heard those words before uh, when reading Hebrews 5. And uh, when I was reading through it, it just really, really, really struck me that, you know, um, that that is a, that was a unique situation <laughs> for God, for Jesus to be in. And... Um, and then, and then the following verses, I mean, really, truly describe, um, you know, he, uh, my assumption is, is he's making reference to the prayers in Gethsemane before he's supposed to be crucified and the intensity of those prayers. And, um, again, I mean, I mean yeah, but in the days of his flesh is kind of a really, really broad statement. Like that's obviously the prayers in Gethsemane are the ones that come to the forefront, right? Because it says that, you know, he was, he was praying fervently that he like began to bleed, right? Like he was, right. He was so into it, but like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there weren't other times in his life where he was offering up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Like, no, it doesn't. Right. Yeah, certainly. No, obviously it says to him who was able to save him from death. So that, I mean, that's the clear connection, right? Uh, But it also says, and he was heard because of his reverence, and uh, God didn't save Jesus from his death. So perhaps, I mean, like, we could really, we could (laughs) really, Hmm. we could really, no, 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 it could, it, it, it could mean, like, we could really dive into this and say, well, yeah, God heard him and didn't change his mind. Because those two things aren't the same. God hearing you and God changing his mind are two separate actions. Right. Um, but that's a conversation for another day, I think, because we, we'd have to do a whole lot more research on, on, on that aspect of it. But yeah, while yep. Jesus was on the earth, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, now, let me backtrack. I said that God did not save Jesus from death. That's not correct. Right. He didn't save Jesus <laughs> from dying, but he still right. saved him from death. Jesus died, but then came back. So he was saved from his death. Uh, so just let's just clear that part up. Um, cool. So then verse 8 says... But yeah, although, so the NIV... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So the NIV is during the days of Jesus' life on earth, which to me does not carry the same weight as <laughs> during his mm-hmm. days. <laughs> yeah. Of, so. Yeah, that's in the days of his flesh is a little more. Um, well, flesh has such a stronger connotation in the Bible than days on earth. Mm-hmm. Flesh is often has a negative connotation and, you know, is like rife with sin and, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's a lot more uh, provocative. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for looking up the NIV. That's that's a good uh, comparison. 
Uh, verse 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is very interesting. As if sons aren't supposed to suffer? Like, yeah. I don't know about you, Dave. I got spanked. I got grounded. I got yelled at. Like, I realize that's not necessarily su- suffering in the grand scheme of things, but when you're five, getting your butt chapped sure feels like suffering. Yeah, and well, and not only... And not only that, but what you described to me was disobedience. There was you suffered. There was consequences for your disobedience. This is saying that he oh. had obedience through what he suffered. Okay. Yeah. No, mine was definitely because of disobedience. I was a turd. Like <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think about like why do why am I obedient? Why do I do what I'm quote unquote supposed to do? It's because I'm trying to avoid the suffering. I'm trying to avoid the negative consequences. And here, to me, there's a correlation of he learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, but isn't that, isn't that also the point of discipline? Is so that you stop disobeying and start obeying? That you learn the obedience through the suffering caused by disobedience? That's the whole point, right? Yeah, but I don't think that applies to Jesus here. No, I, I know, I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm backing the train up to like our level, right? The the reason that that you know suffering is like a bit extreme, right? But in our case, discipline or punishment, yeah, chastisement, whatever word you want to use, depending on how vicious your parents were, right? The the intent was to stop the disobedience and to cause you to choose obedience. Yeah. But to your point, there was no disobedience in Jesus, yet he still suffered, which is, that is fascinating. And he learned obedience. If he was obedient and was never disobedient, he still learned obedience? I mean, the reason he was the perfect sacrifice, the reason he didn't have to to sacrifice for himself was because he didn't sin. I mean, like, if there's anything I would say that Jesus was, it was it was obedient. And yet here it's saying he learned obedience? I feel like there's more to this verse than, than what we're... What does the NIV say? <laughs> that is a good question. He learned obedience from what he suffered. All right. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> well, and then and then get this. The next says, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Okay, so I was reading this before we recorded. I was cheating and actually looking ahead to what we were talking about, which we usually don't do. And I read this paragraph seven through ten. And I had this really, 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 really weird thought. Did did the author of Hebrews in this instance not think that Jesus was born divine? And I'm not trying to cause a heresy or start a fight, but the way that all of this is phrased, in the days of his flesh, meaning his humanity, he offered up prayers, 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through his suffering. And being made perfect, meaning he wasn't perfect to begin with, he became the source of eternal salvation and so on and so forth. And he being designated by God, the highest of priests after the order of Melchizedek. It like, I'm obviously reading into that, but just the way that it's phrased really, really, really seems like the author is saying he wasn't, but then he was as far as like perfect, you know, fully got, which, which is a heresy. So we don't want to say that, but what, what I guess what I'm getting at is these, these four verses, seven, eight, nine, and 10, I need more context and insight into what is being said for those reasons, because my conclusions based on what I'm reading are, uh, weird. And maybe it's just the way that the ESV phrases it. I, 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 again, I don't know. Because to your point, he learned obedience through what he suffered. We know that Jesus suffered, right? Because, you know, he was uh, falsely accused, beaten, murdered. And that was just the end. That wasn't all the crap he went through as a teenager. Every teenager suffers, Dave, because life is hard and people <laughs> suck, right? And then being made perfect, that is an active thing, even though we know that he is perfect because he is God. He became, meaning he wasn't beforehand, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It just the choice of the choice of tense and verbs there is very unsettling. Yeah. So I one of the things so first of all, I think that You know, sometimes when we think about Jesus and, and what he did and what he experienced, I personally believe, or I personally have this like in my head that, well, this is the only way it could have gone, is he's going to choose the right thing. And so, one, I think in all of this and all that Jesus did, there is a very real potential that he could have chosen the other way. You know, like we get so ingrained in that, you know, God is who he is and Jesus is who he is. Like for, for, for me, it, for it to be a choice, it has to be a legitimate choice. He has to, he, like he legitimately had to choose to do the right thing, to be obedient, uh, because this was not something he wanted to do in terms of being crucified on the cross. And that's a fair thing to not want to have to go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think the other part of this is, is that, you know, there is an element of, and I can't, I can't think of a metaphor for, for this at this point, but, you know, there is an element of something existing in, in, in its its nature being true. But then something about that nature becoming um, confirmed through action. 
And so that while Jesus is perfect, and we know he would do the right thing, he truly has to have this opportunity to not choose God, to not do the right thing. And so that it's in that completion of the act that we go, even though he was perfect, the act like solidifies, it kind of validates his perfection. There's an opportunity for him to reveal his true character. And it truly is. And I hope I'm. <laughs> no, you're making total sense. Too. No, no, you're making total sense. And my thought is oh, so Jesus and Darth Vader are opposites because. Sure. When push yeah, came to shove, Anakin go. Skywalker revealed who he truly was, and who he truly was was Darth Vader. Yeah. He was always the evil, angry, emotional, you know, uh, mm-hmm. immature uh, person that, that gave in to, and Jesus was obviously the opposite. Now, obviously, we're not saying that Jesus and Darth Vader are on the same <laughs> level, because Darth Vader is a fake character from a movie that a weird guy made up. <laughs> Yes. But, yeah. Yeah, and and you know I'm even thinking about the the parable of the the sower and the seeds. And you know there's there's this so I guess there's an element of it's it's true for us as well as there's a testing of you know when we go through trials or when we experience the reality of the world um You know, your your actions need to, and even as I say these kinds of things, I know the reality of who I am <laughs> in my sinful nature, and I don't claim to get it right, but I certainly know there were people that I went to church with many years ago who are not walking with him now, who are not trying day in and day out uh, to know him better, to seek him, and... Anyway, uh, yeah, just a consistency between what we quote-unquote believe and then what we quote-unquote actually do. And I don't know why it's quote-unquote, but that's the way it came out. It's one of the many weird English-isms, quote-unquote. I get it. Anyways. All right. So, and then just to be clear here, just to finish, although he was a son, we learned obedience through what he suffered. We talked about that. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. To all who obey him, being uh, designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Man, that being made perfect part, that's really getting to me now. Dang it, Dave. <laughs> and it's funny because I feel like I have this new kind of like, aha of, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say somebody's perfect. It's another thing for them to, for that to be confirmed through their actions. Well, and, and it's the, it's the became... being, being made. <laughs> That's, and then he, like he became the source of eternal salvation, yes, because of what happened on the cross. I'm, I got no problem with that, because that but was an perfect. action that occurred yeah. that served a purpose that is clear as day throughout the Bible. It's the being made part. Man, that that tense really. That's troublesome. 
And I like that we can admit that on this show oh, that yeah, we don't have absolutely. all the answers and that there are part of the parts of the Bible that are challenging and that there are translation issues and that there are concepts that are difficult to talk through and to understand. And it's okay for us to ask these questions and to be a bit confused and to not know. And I like that I can, that I can say this stuff, Dave, and you not judge me and you can say <laughs> the stuff and I not judge you for it. Right. Because in churches, if you, in, not in all, in certain churches, you bring this up and you question things, you're no longer welcome. And that's yeah. silly. It's very silly. It is silly, and honestly, the older I get, the more I look at people who seem to have it all figured out. I judge you. <laughs> I know that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. but About to say, someone's about to go get some tweezers to their own eyes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. All right. That well, was tongue-in-cheek when I said that. I know, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time because I can, and I miss you. <laughs> Uh, real quick, I think we're getting close to being done here. Um, you are my son today, I have begotten you. That is Psalm 2, I think, verse 7. And then the whole priesthood, Melchizedek, sitting at my right hand, all of that is Psalm 110. Um, and I looked that up. That's I'm not acting like I know that. But... <laughs> And looking these up in the Bible, Dave shared the references. Yes. And so it's just, you know, I, like I did get a kick out of that whole what you said, as he also, as he said, also in another place. Yeah, in another place. Like, <laughs> I know it's somewhere, but, you know, the reference is escaping me. Yeah. So, no, I looked those up. So, anyway. Well, I appreciate that because I certainly did not. So those will those uh, references will be in the show notes for sure. So this, I think... This is this is why I love talking this stuff through with you, Dave. Like we just get to come to the text, we get to express what excites us, what scares us, uh, what encourages us, what doubts we have, what we don't think makes sense, which what what connections we see with other things in the Bible. And it's you know, it's it's just a really, really fun and encouraging time of just being present with the scripture, with all of the good stuff and all of the crap going on in our lives, and that weird sort of scenario of just like, we're just going to come to the text with where we are today, and we're going to we're gonna uh, appreciate it for what it says, and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to guide the conversation. And where we, where we fail, we fail, and that's on us. And where, where, where God reveals truth, then, you know, that's on him. And it's just, man... It's just fun. I like it. I mean, obviously, it's episode 176. <laughs> Almost six years later. <gasps> Almost, yes. 12 days, David. Yeah, I know. No, 11 days. 11 days to our six-year anniversary. <laughs> Aww. You going to buy me some flowers? No. <laughs> I almost just spit my drink all over the wall. <laughs> all right. That's it, folks. Yabba dabba, whatever, however, however Bugs Bunny ends the shows. And that, that's all, yeah. folks. 
Oh, show notes. Um, <laughs> supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 176. You can find all the show notes there. If you're listening all on a device, you know, podcast app, you, the show notes are, they're there. Swipe around. You'll find them. If you know the app better than I do, I don't know which one you're listening to, but you do. It's there. Uh, in the show notes, you'll find links to the goodies and phone numbers and emails and Twitters. And I think that's it. Dave, any closing words, any wisdom you wish to impart on all of us? Mm. I don't know the words of wisdom, but I just hope people seize the opportunity for this time of year to acknowledge what it is really all about. So that Jesus was born in a manger. Oh man, I was going to say good discounts on lots of stuff you don't need. <laughs> Jai, totally whiffed. <laughs> yeah, what Dave said. So, and I know you may not be listening to this at that time of year. <laughs> I realize that, but oh, I this hate is when we're recording. so much for saying that. I'm so I'm sorry. Yes, what exactly what Dave said. Forget my stupid comment. It's about Jesus. <laughs> I apologize. Goodbye. Bye.